your classroom and go have a great time. Woo. How is everyone doing this morning? Woo-hoo. Father, we honor you. We give you glory in this place. We give you glory in our lives. And Lord, as we were singing, you reign, you reign, you reign. It's not just that you reign over this world, but Lord, you reign in our lives. Be enthroned as king over our life. We put you in that place that, Father, we submit unto you, Jesus. You are the name that is above every name, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess. And so I don't have to wait to the end to see you as king. I can serve you as my king now. And so, Father, we enthrone you in our lives as Lord over all, and we declare you reign, you reign, you reign. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Woo! Well, you know, sometimes you put a message together and you think, I know exactly where we're going and I'm ready to go. And as we're just worshiping, so many things are just stirring. So I believe we're going to get the right message that we need for today and whatever that needs to be. And we've been talking about faith. We've been doing a a refresh on faith. I really believe that 2023 has been, its focus has been changed, that we need to stir ourselves up in faith. You live by faith. You walk by faith. The just are called to live a life of faith, which is moment by moment by moment, not event here and an event there. No, we live by faith every day, and we don't walk by what we see or what we hear or what the word or the, what the world says. We walk by what Jesus said. And so Toph put that new song into that lineup this morning that I'll take you at your word because that needs to become the, 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 the hill that you're willing to die on. I will take you at your word, God. You said it, I believe it, and that's how it is. And so when we talk about faith, most people say, oh, that person is a person of faith. They just mean they believe in a God. No, I don't just believe in a God. I believe in the God, the one and only who sent his son Jesus to die for me. And I don't just believe in that. I don't have not just received that. I believe that what he said is true about every area he talked about. I believe that I am who he says I am. That I have what he says I have, and I can do what he says I can do. And it doesn't matter what the world's interpretation of that is. I believe God above all else. And so faith, we're taking him at his word. And so where we've been in the midst of this, uh, what's turning into more of a, I won't call it a series, Pastor Wendy said, stop calling them series, they're seasons with you, I don't know, it just kind of, we start and then we end up going. But in the the last two weeks, and we're going to talk again today, we're looking at doubt and unbelief. And you could say, why in the midst of a message on faith are we talking about doubt and unbelief? And the reason is, is most people don't even recognize when they're walking in doubt and unbelief, and they'll say they're in faith when really they're standing in unbelief. And experience has taught me over the years, and I'm sure Pastor Robin can attest to the same thing over the time of being a pastor and being in ministry, is people will often tell you first what they think they want you, want, they want you to say. Like that what they, they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear. Oh, I'm, I'm believing God for this. But if I, I could look at Pastor Robin and say, you just listen a little longer. 
You listen a little longer after they tell you what they're believing for, and then you find out what they really do believe. Because they'll make a statement of faith, and then everything about the rest of the conversation is just short-circuiting that, speaking their doubt and their unbelief and what their real expectations are. And so we have to understand what doubt and unbelief looks like because most people exchange them for faith. And we said that doubt and unbelief are the thief of God's blessings. When you walk in doubt and unbelief, you stop the hand of God being able to work in your life. And when I say that, I know it makes some people like tighten up and like, I don't know, God can do whatever he wants to do. No, he can't. Crickets, 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 crickets. No, he can't. He can only do what you will allow him to do in your life. And when we've been looking back at Mark chapter 5, for this is the third week in doubt and unbelief, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus has just come off this amazing time where he just raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He's just had the woman with the issue of blood. She took hold by faith and received her miracle. And so he's had these wonderful miracles that have been taking place. And he goes into his hometown and it says he begins to tell them the things that God has been doing. And so he's sharing with them the miracles that are taking place elsewhere, but it says in his hometown, he could do no mighty work there. He could. Now, most Christians would be more comfortable if it said he would do no mighty work there. He didn't feel like it because, you know, they're not responding right. No, it said that he could not. Could implies there was a, something that was standing in the way from allowing him to do mighty works there, though he had just come off of mighty works of raising a girl from the dead. But here he could not. And there's a lot of things that God would like to do in your life, things that he's given promises over that we put our hands up with unbelief and doubt. But the just live by faith. We take him at his word. We believe that what he said is so, not that it's going to be so, that it is. Going to be so is hope. Faith is now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It takes the things that you were hoping for and brings them into a present tense reality. Faith is always now. And so he said he could do no mighty work there except lay hands on a few sick folk and heal them. And there's, there's, a, there's an interesting idea that though the crowd may be of one of unbelief, your faith will still receive for you. And so there was a few that didn't fall into the hole. Come on. And that's why it's really important not to follow the crowd. Because the crowd could be the lemmings running into the sea. And a lot of times, a life of faith calls you to go upstream while everyone else is going downstream. And so he could do no mighty work there. And thank God that the word of God tells us why. First, they were offended at him. He came in and told them about the miracles that were happening, and they were offended, which we told you that word means they placed an impediment in the way. Their offense 
put a barrier between what God wanted to do in that city and what God could do in that city. And so their offense put them in. And what was the offense? He's telling them, I just raised a girl from the dead. And they're like, is this not the carpenter's son? He can't do those things. We know him. My, my aunt babysat him while he was a kid, <laughs> you know? You know, whatever all the implications could be of m- being familiar with someone. Didn't matter what they were familiar with with natural Jesus. Here stands the Messiah declaring to them the truth. And they said, eh, it can't be that way. And so many Christians today, when we talk about the promises and the goodness of God, they're like, that just sounds too good to be true. That, why don't we just put the right word in there? You're offended at the word. And it puts an impediment in the way. And it says Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Man, I don't want Jesus to look at my life and say, oh, look at their unbelief. I want him to look, oh, what great faith. He's willing to believe me. Come on. Because Jesus was never afraid to say that. He looked at him, he's like, I've not found that type of faith, not in all of the house of Israel. Why? Jesus sees great faith and goes, attaboy. At a girl. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. He marveled at their unbelief. And when we looked at, Tim, uh, at Thomas, Thomas, which we call doubting Thomas, what was Jesus' words to him? He said, I will not believe unless I can grab it with my physical senses. See it, hear it, touch it, whatever. I will not believe until those conditions are met. And Jesus said to him, don't be unbelieving but believing. Blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. Believe even when it hasn't touched your senses yet because the word of God is more real and more true than what you can see and what you can hear. Come on. Uh, Toph and Jess, you guys were at an illusionist recently and didn't a lot of those things look pretty real? He was pretty good with sleight of hand and stuff like that. Just because it looked a certain way doesn't mean it actually was that way. And so what you see and what you feel and what you've experienced can be deceiving. The word of God is a higher truth. I like what the book of John says. It says if we receive the witness of man as true the witness of God is greater. So there can be things that are true to us naturally that the word of God still supersedes. And so he said to Thomas, be not unbelieving, be believing. And the word that he used was, be not without trust in God. Because what Thomas had done was he said to his best friends, your word's not enough. He was saying to Jesus, what you told me was going to happen was not enough. Even though now my friends are telling me it's happened, that's still not enough. He would not take him at his word. And when we looked at Peter walking on the sea, which we're going to look a little bit more at that today again. When Peter walked on the sea, Jesus said to him after he began to sink and he lifted him up, he said, Peter, why did you doubt And that word for doubt means to separate or to make a distinction or to prefer or simply to waver, going back and forth. Meaning Peter found himself caught between two competing beliefs. One would be called faith and the other would be called unbelief. 
He was caught in between the two. And he separated himself from what was true. He made a distinction. You know, I was thinking about that this week when we talk about making a distinction or to prefer a certain way or to separate. We often separate ourselves from what is true thinking we are the exception to the rule. When most people hear statistics, they never put themselves on the negative side. They always separate themselves. No, when it comes to things of faith, it is as God has said, you can't separate yourself from it. You go ahead and you attach yourself to it. And you say, it is, it is, it is, as he has said. It is. If he said, by his stripes, I was healed, then that's how it is, and that's what I will cling to, and I will die on that hill. Come on. It says some of the people of the Old Testament, they died in faith, not having seen the promise. How much better, though, you who now live in the promise. Jesus has come. He's done the work. He's made a way so that all who believe can walk in what he has called them to, to be sons and daughters of God, right in the same mold and right out of the same type of spirit that he was. Come on. And so don't separate yourself and think you're a special case. No, the just live by faith. And if you're not living by faith, then you're living by unbelief. There's really only the two options. Even neutrality. If you stand and be like, well, it could be this way or it could be that way, you know what happens to someone who's neutral? They get pushed around because they don't have the backbone to make the stand. The Bible says I'd rather you be hot or cold, but don't be in the middle. Wow. So this morning, what I want to talk about in the time we have left now is the anatomy of doubt and unbelief. Because as we look at that, it'll reveal the anatomy of faith. And so why don't we go over this morning to Hebrews chapter 3. You doing all right? Hebrews chapter 3. Book of Hebrews. And in verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the holy calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now, just think about this for a second. He said, consider Jesus, who is the high priest of our confession. Do you know that he watches over your words? He's the high priest of over, over your confession. The Bible says that death, that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat the fruit of it. He watches over his word to perform it. That's what the Bible says. He watches over his word to perform it. His word in your mouth is as good as his word in his mouth. Because every word that proceeded out from the mouth of God was not void of power. But it was sent forth to commission a purpose. And so he watches over his word and his word in your mouth is just as good as his word in his mouth. And it says he is the high priest of our confession. In the next chapter, the writer of Hebrews continues that thought. And he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast 
to what we're saying about who God is. Let us hold fast to what God has said who we are. Let us hold fast to what God said we can do. Let us hold fast to what God says we have. Hold on and let that be in your mouth. Hold fast or cling to the confession of your faith. Not just that I believe in God, but I believe in everything that he said about me. Hold fast to our confession. And that word confession is just simply means to speak, to speak. But it comes from the root word, which means to say the same thing as another. To say the same thing as another. Who is the other that you're following after with your words? It can go both ways. We can parrot what the world says. We can parrot what religion says. Or we can say the same thing about ourselves and about our situations as our God does. You get to choose which one you align yourself to. And so he says, hold fast to our confession. He continues on into chapter 10 and he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering what is that word doubt hold fast to the confession of your faith without switching back and forth between the two if he's watching over his words it might do us good to watch over our words because we can open the word of god and say one thing about ourselves and immediately flip the switch and begin to say something else. We will put a guard on our mouths, as David said. Lord, put a guard on my mouth that I won't speak that which is evil. And it says, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What did we read two weeks ago out of the book of Hebrews? He said, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Faith and patience. Okay, that was just a little rabbit trail that you get for free. Let's get back to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, everyone say that word, Consider. consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Jesus. Let's make it a few less words. Consider Jesus. Take out all the other titles. Jesus is Jesus is Jesus is Jesus. Consider Jesus. That word consider in the Greek means to consider attentively or to fix one's eyes or mind upon. Why are we going down this route? We're talking about the anatomy of doubt and unbelief, right? And so what are you focusing and fixated on let me say it again what are you focusing and fixating on when we're going through problems and situations you ever found yourself in the place where you're just rolling them over and over and over and over and over again 
you're looking for a solution and you're thinking about the problem and you're, and you're going through it over and 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 it seems like, okay, okay, I got to do something. I got to stop thinking about that. And you go another way and then you find yourself back going over and over and over. And that's called fixating. What are you fixating? That will reveal where your focus is. And that will reveal where your faith is. We often get fixated on the problem. Or we get fixated on how we think God should solve the problem and the route that it needs to go and the way that it needs to happen and the person that God needs to move. And, uh, fixation is never a good thing. He didn't say fix on, fixate on how God will solve it. He simply said, consider Jesus. There's something that Keith Moore said that I really think we need to grab hold of. And he said, faith puts no pressure on people. Faith puts no pressure on problems. Faith doesn't put pressure, period. And so if you're finding yourself in a place of pressure, of this is how and this is what, or this is what's wrong, none of that is faith. Doubt and unbelief fixate. Faith celebrates Jesus. You can be standing in faith and not even having to think about the problem ever again. But you're like, well, it hasn't been fixed yet. But faith says it is. And so faith stops fixating. It stops having to draw our attention back to. It stops ruminating over and over and over on it. Faith speaks and says it's done and let's go. You know what an attitude of faith generally looks like for the most part? Thanksgiving. God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you are who you are, that you've made me who I am, that I have what you said. An attitude of gratitude is the voice of faith speaking out from you. And so doubt fixates, unbelief fixate, faith frees you from it. In Romans chapter 4, we looked at it briefly last week, but it talks about Abraham. And Abraham had a whopper of a promise. He's an old man, and God begins to call him father of many nations, yet he has no kids. He has no kids. The timeline at the start of the promise is already too old. The promise from the beginning seemed impossible. Come on, God takes the impossible and turns them into possible. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And so we don't have to worry about how impossible it may seem or how this is going to come to pass. Faith just believes that it is so as he has said it. And so God says to Abraham, you're going to have a son, even in your old age. And it tells us in Romans chapter 4 what Abraham's faith looked like. And in verse 19 of chapter 4, it says, and not being weak in faith. 
Okay, so if someone is not weak in faith, what does that make them? Strong in faith. So it's about to tell us what strong faith looks like. Come on, you ready for this? It says, and being strong in faith, we'll just change it to that, he did not consider his own body which was already dead since he was about a hundred years old, nor did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. What did strong faith look like for Abraham? He stopped considering everything else that could contribute to it. He didn't look at his body and say, well, you're getting pretty old. You better do something. Body, you better start coming back to life. No, it says he stopped considering it and started living in it. Come on. And so many of us are waiting for healing and we're considering the healing or we're considering how much the body hurts. Faith stops considering it because it calls it done. It calls it what God has already said. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. He sent his word and healed me. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And by the work that he did on the cross and the power of the resurrection and the ascension and how he's raised me up, I sit far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And if it has a name, whether it be cancer, whether it be diabetes, whether it be whatever it is, it's got a name, it's so far beneath me, I need to stop considering it because it's not worth considering it because faith has released me from it. And so his strong faith led him to stop considering. And it says he did not waver at the promise, meaning he didn't go back and forth between, okay, God's way, this is what it looks like in the natural. God's way, this is what, no, he stopped going back and forth. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith by giving glory to God. Where's your focus and where's your fixation? The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider Jesus. That's what he was doing. He was giving glory to God, and through his glorying of God, it strengthened his faith. He became stronger, anchored to God, than the natural conditions. And it says that he was fully convinced that what he would, God had promised, he was able to perform. And if he's the performer, who should you be attaching yourself to? It says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our faith springs out of him, what he said, what he said about us, what is possible to you. He starts it, it springs forth from him, and he finishes it. He's the performer. So, strong faith considers the conditions. Weak faith, sorry, (laughs) jump two slides. Strong faith considers the promise. Weak faith considers the conditions. Which one are you considering? What is your fixation? Okay, so he says in Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle of our high priest of our confession, 
Christ Jesus. And he goes on to compare Jesus with Moses. How Moses was faithful, but the faithfulness of Jesus is even stronger than that will ever be. So as Moses was a great example of delivering the children of Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians and leading them through the desert into the promised land, what Jesus has done is more faithful and of higher consideration. And so he compares the two for five verses, and then in verse 7 it says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice. And it's important that it says, today, if you will hear it. Today, if you will consider it. Today, if you will open your ear. Because faith is always in the present. Hope exists in the future. Worry and reminiscence live in the past. But faith lives in today. And so he says, today, if you will hear. Today, if you will open up your eyes to see the promise of Jesus. That's when it affects things. When you're looking at it today, not tomorrow not what you did yesterday today is the day in which you live today is the day that the Lord has made and we rejoice and we be glad in it today is the only day in which you get to live in he says today if you will listen to his voice and he says do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. That sounds like, when we go back to Mark 5, it says they were offended at him. They closed off their heart from him. Here it says, don't harden your hearts, as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. He's talking about the children of Israel who saw miracle after miracle after miracle and still said, yeah, no, I don't want to believe that. And I've I've never understood that. When I see God move in my life, it makes me want to believe more. I don't understand the idea that some people would close their heart and back off. But that's not going to stop me from pressing in. He says, do not harden your heart. When? Today. It's not about the hardness of yesterday. If it was hard yesterday, you can soften it today. If it was closed yesterday, you can open it today. He says, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, they tried me, and they saw my works for 40 years. That testing and that trying was them saying to God, prove it to me again. God has nothing to prove to you Your job is to believe it is, as he said, and take him at his word. And he says, I was angry with that generation. Jude says, I was not well pleased with them. Why? Because faith pleases God. Hebrew 11, 6. Unbelief does not. It says, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they won't enter my rest. Beware, brethren lest there be in you, any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. An evil heart of unbelief departs from what God has said. It separates itself from what God said. It makes a distinction between itself and what God said. What is that? That's doubt and unbelief at work. It wavers back and forth. It makes that distinction, that separation. He said, make sure that that's not in you, which means it's not on him, it's on us. His warning wasn't to himself, it was to us, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, 
Build one another up daily. Encourage one another daily. Strengthen one another daily while it is called today. Why? Because faith is today. Faith is now. It only exists right now. You can only choose to believe when you're in the moment. And you can hold fast to that moment when you get to the next moment. And it can become a chain of faith. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, and I will continue to believe. You only get to choose in the moment, and whatever moment you choose, you will flow in faith or you'll flow in unbelief. You can have them connected together because we live by faith, we walk by faith, we go moment to moment to moment, and in the moment I am in, I choose to believe. For we have become partakers of Christ. Think about that word for a second. Partakers. There's a difference between possessing and partaking. I can have a great meal on my table, but that's different from taking and eating. God has provided things for you and you possess them according to his spiritual laws, but that doesn't make you partake. We partake by faith. It says if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Do you know what confidence is? Faith. It's trust. I am confident that what God said is true. If he said it's that way, it is. And so we become partakers of the things God, Christ has delivered to us by holding fast by faith. But how is it going to get from what he's told me I have to what I'm now seeing with my senses? Why do you need to be so fixated on when and how? When we're fixated on Jesus, we'll all of a sudden start finding things like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And here it is. When did it show up? You know, I told the story a, a number of months ago, and I've told it in the past, that I was playing hockey down at, in Rayma Intramural Hockey, which when you think of good Christian hockey, this is like the opposite of whatever picture you think of. This, is, this was rough. We generally came home bleeding, you know, bruised, and we'd been hitting each other hard. Those Minnesotan boys, they like to go hard against the Canadian ones. And so we had rough hockey, and I would come home and like, just like beat up, and my roommate would be like, what happened to you? You went to Christian intramural hockey. I'm like, yeah, that's just how hockey is. And I was coming up, about to deke around their defenseman, and I would have had a straight shot right to the net. And he decided that instead of trying to play the ball, he played my knee. And he completely hyperextended my knee, like right back. And I felt everything rip all the way up the back, and my leg bent in a direction it's not supposed to be. And immediately I knew that was bad. <laughs> and here I am, a Canadian living in the United States. I don't have health, health insurance coverage. I can't go to there. And so, you know, like my friends are like, what do you want to do? I'm like, just get me to the side, you know, like tie it up, you know, let's get me home. And so it was rough. I could barely walk, but you know, I still had things to do. Uh, I had prayer and healing school in the afternoons that I needed to go to. And so I just put one of those tensor bandages on to keep my legs straight. And I kind of was walking like this. You know, and I did that for about, it was like two or three days. And uh, 
uh, I was walking with a friend uh, after school, heading towards prayer and healing school where I was serving, and she just looked at me and said, you look absolutely ridiculous. And I know she didn't mean it to be like hurtful, but those words rung in my heart when she had said them. You look ridiculous, and I did. Here I am, the head usher of prayer and healing school, and I can barely walk, you know? And so praise and worship team gets up there and the place is just going crazy and people are worshiping God taking off running and here I am I can't move (laughs) you know and those words that she said you look ridiculous just kept rolling over in my heart and I kind of clicked that's right Jesus said he's healed me God I receive my healing for this knee right now right here in the name of Jesus and I just began to worship God forgot about it and people are just running having a great time in the presence of God and it popped up in my heart by the Holy Spirit if you're healed why aren't you running with them and in that moment a lot of thoughts are pulling through this is what it would look like (laughs) you know not gonna look pretty I'm gonna look stupid I'm more foolish than I already have been for three days But when it pops up in your heart by the Holy Spirit, you take hold and you run. And so I took off running, and by the time I hit the first turn down the side of the chairs there, my knee was completely healed and I was running fine. But there was things that I could have considered. Faith lets go of those and considers Jesus. You know, in Mark 5, when Jesus got to his hometown, it says he was telling them about the mighty things God had done in the region. And I told you he had just come off healing or raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. So let's look at that. Look at what Jesus had to face right before coming to his hometown. And in Mark chapter 5, verse, we'll start it in 21. It says, now when Jesus crossed over again, come on. There we go. Well, when Jesus crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. This man is in a situation that, as a parent, it it wrenches on you. You've got a child at the point of death. This is a very emotional time for him. This is also a very pivotal time for his family and his daughter. If something doesn't change, she's going to die. And he came to her and he said, Come, lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. This is his faith speaking. All I need is you to come and when you lay hands on her, I know she's going to be fine. She's going to live. And Jesus doesn't say anything. It just says he went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. There's lots of people, everyone's pushing, and this journey is not going as fast as Jairus would have liked. He was thinking, go grab Jesus quickly, bring Jesus 
It's all good. And now here we are stuck in a crowd of people and they're not getting through because every thronging means they're all pushing up against. Everybody's got to, Jesus, Jesus, I need this. Jesus, Jesus. And he can't get through the crowd. And in the midst of him on the way to Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of blood steps out in faith. And she says, if I can only get to Jesus and touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And so she does it. She fights her way through the crowd, crawls through, grabs his garment, and Jesus goes, who touched me? Because it says he immediately felt power had been pulled out of him. And she comes and she throws herself down at his feet and says, it was me. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Her faith was the one that received that miracle, not his. But what that whole situation is for her, a joyous miracle, is an obstacle for Jairus. It's that much longer Jesus getting to his daughter, who was already at the point of death. And so while this great thing is going on for the woman with the issue of blood, it says, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? That wasn't part of Jairus' faith statement of faith. Come, lay hands, she'll be fine. Not She's dead. Think of the emotions that's flooding this man at this moment. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. Why? Because there's new considerations. Jairus is now considering other things and other ways she's dead and jesus swoops into the moment and says it's not over the holy spirit wants you to know that there's many things that you felt in your heart it's done it's over he wants you to know this morning it's not over don't be afraid only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw the tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Of course, this young girl just died. They're grief-stricken. But when he came in, he said, why are you making this commotion and you're weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. What's your problem? He came to me for a miracle, and a miracle is what you're getting. Why are you mourning? This is not over. And they ridiculed him, or they got offended, is another way to say it. They got offended, but when he had put them out. You know, it's a really good that Jairus wasn't the one ridiculing him, or this story would be over here. They ridiculed him, and he put them out. And when people mock the things of God in your life, when you're trying to believe, put them out. 
And when he had put them all outside, he took the father, he took the mother of the child, and those who were with him, and entered into where the child was laying. And he took the child by the hand and said, Talitha kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. So, doubt rises out of your thoughts in response to your considerations. Doubt rises out of them. Faith rises out of your heart in response to the word. Where's your focus? Where's your fixation? Now, if doubt rises out of your thoughts in response to your considerations, well, what hope do we have, right? There's lots of things we're bombarded with daily that we could consider. Well, it's a good thing that Paul said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And he says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You can't stop thoughts from coming, but you can control what you do with them. And so in that moment, Jairus is faced with that information. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus said, it's not over. And he had two things to consider. He could have said, it's okay, Jesus, we don't need you anymore. Or he could keep believing. So what are you considering? Jesus said, if any man will speak to the mountain and command it to move and puts the doubt out of the way, it will move. Amen? Well, I think we've had enough for this morning. We always got next week, right? There's more to give, but that's all we needed. Don't waver between the two. If you've only got two options, it's an easy decision. Believe. Believe, 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 believe. And if you feel like, I'm not in a point that I feel like I can do that, find someone else to stir you up then. Someone who will grab you by the hand and say, don't be afraid, only believe. Everybody needs four crazy friends. Friends who believe. There's friends you can go party with. I want four friends who will believe. Who will tear the roof off a place to get me before Jesus. And if you're having trouble getting yourself to that point, get a friend who's already stepped over and said, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm going to believe. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, just in a moment... Our word care team is going to be up at the front. They would love to be that person to agree with you and believe with you. Whatever you need, they're there to pray with you. Um, take advantage of it. Pastor Robin, bring us in for a landing. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. The just shall live by faith. Amen.
Glory be to God. It is offering time, and uh, I want to go to, well, actually, there's the give online here first, so you can do that where the envelope in the basket at the back sort of thing. Um, there's always a way to give. So I just want to go to 2 Corinthians uh, 9, starting verse 7. The, the entire chapter of um, uh, 9 here, of 2 Corinthians 9, it talks about giving and receiving seed time and harvest. Actually, if you take all the different subject matters of the Bible, there's nothing spoken more about than seed time and harvest and giving and receiving. It's the number one subject. So God wants to get something to us. Amen? So he wants to know the, the reason how. You, you can't receive any of this stuff by, without unless you use your faith. Amen? And your faith, first step of faith is in giving. That, that's a step of faith. Amen? And you go from there. And so that's why we always give you opportunity. And so it says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, why would you be cheerful giving? Yes, exactly. You know what's on the other side of giving is the receiving end of it. Amen? It's a, it's a God system. We, we didn't come up with this. The church, you know, religious church didn't come up with this. God came up with this. Said, hey, I need to get something to you. This is how the process works. Second, uh, the next verse. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. See? That's the other side. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you that we can give with a cheerful heart. That we can receive out of your abundance. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Glory be to God. Word care team, please. And if you need prayer for anything or want them to minister to you,